0: I hope that I'm wrong about what I think your answer is going to be right now, Kelly. But do you ever watch Star Trek?
1: I've seen Star Trek, yeah. I've seen a few episodes of a few different iterations, but I don't actively watch it, no.
0: Well, I am a huge Star Trek fan. And one of my favorite episodes from The Next Generation, which is the best Star Trek series by far, by the way is called Justice.
1: That sounds very severe. I'm kind of surprised that you're that into Star Trek, especially one that, I mean, for the time, it had pretty awesome special effects, but I don't know if they hold up. So are you like still watching this series? That's kind of, I don't know, corny now?
0: Okay, first of all, watch your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Second of all, what I like about Star Trek is that they use the fact they're on this ship gallivanting around the universe and coming across different planets and different species to set up scenarios that let them explore in a really meaningful way some of the philosophical questions we're faced with here on earth and a lot of times exactly what it means to be human
1: even though they were somewhat alien
0: yeah for example there's a character data who's an android and who's always trying to become more human. And he'll ask questions like, why is that funny? Why does it matter that somebody dies? Uh, you know, things like this that we maybe take for granted. How to sneeze <laughs> is one uh, particularly funny episode, I think. And it stops the other characters and really makes them think like, why, why are certain things funny? And why are certain things not funny? And why is humor such an integral part of of being a human?
1: I do... Like media that tells stories about us through different lenses. So I'm not, I'm not against it, I guess.
0: You should watch and give it a chance now that you're more mature and open-minded. Okay. I'll watch it. If you start watching Gilmore girls, does Gilmore girls have androids?
1: No, but it teaches us so many lessons about ourselves.
0: Mm -hmm. So anyway, in this (laughs) particular episode, justice, the crew of the enterprise That's the big boat that they fly around space in lands on a planet that is basically paradise. And they're greeted by a group of, um, scantily clad and very friendly locals who pretty quickly demonstrate that everyone on the planet is happy to make everyone else feel, let's just say right at home. Okay. That sounds kind of gross, but okay. Uh, we're sex positive on this podcast. Thank you very much. You're right. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so that's that's all well and good. But the most interesting thing about this planet is that apparently there is zero crime. And we pretty quickly figure out why. One of the younger crew members of the Enterprise, Wesley, goes off to play catch with some of the local kids. And while they're playing, he misses a ball, doesn't catch it. It goes into a planter, and he runs into this planter to get the ball and ends up damaging some of the plants after that a couple of security guards basically the planet's policemen come and pick him up and arrest him for trespassing in a sense and so the crew of the spaceship are called they come to the prison they hear about what happened he ran over some plants they're okay great like haha he's been punished we'll take him back now and the twist is Apparently on this planet, what happens is there is a region that is being observed that moves around the planet. So you never know what region of the planet is being observed at any given time. But if you commit a crime in this region, there is only one penalty. Naked volleyball? Not naked volleyball. The penalty for any crime is death. They have the capital punishment for any crime you commit. And the idea is, since you never know if you're being watched or not, nobody on this planet ever commits crime because it's never worth the chance that they're going to be put to death.
1: It's like the mega panopticon.
0: Mm -hmm. And so what happens is you have this kid from the ship who doesn't know the laws of the planet, who stepped on a flower and is now going to be put to death.
1: There's no clemency because it's a kid. Nothing like that at all.
0: This system apparently only works, according to this planet, it only works if it's universal, absolute, any crime, anybody, anytime, death. Extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Incubitably Now. So, my little Star Trek anecdote might be an extreme example, but this is a very real issue here on Earth. Our world is becoming increasingly interconnected, while at the same time, different countries and regions hold on to cultural practices or values and beliefs that are unique to themselves. And when a member of one society travels and interacts with another, oftentimes we can see tensions arise. And Every once in a while, that tension reaches the level of criminality, and this unsuspecting traveler can find themselves sitting behind the bars of a foreign prison cell.:
1: The most prominent example of that happening currently is the case of Brittany Greiner, who is an American professional basketball player who was traveling to Russia to play there in the offseason from the WNBA, and upon arriving in Russia, her bags were searched and She was found to be carrying supplies that had marijuana products in them. The means by which she had them were through a prescription. Where she came from, that was perfectly legal, but there were different norms and different laws where she was headed.
0: Mm -hmm. And just today, at the time of the recording at least, she was sentenced to nine and a half years in a Russian prison.
1: This seems like an overblown sentence considering the crime or alleged crime that she committed. Now that we're paying more attention to it and the severity of the sentence has been handed down, hopefully there's going to be a significant amount of backlash that causes some sort of reversal or some sort of acquittal on Russia's part. But it's uh, certainly a very
0: scary situation. Mm -hmm. Since that situation is unfolding literally as we speak, that seems like a good place to start this episode. We can take that case to start a discussion about whether or not foreign nationals should be held to the laws of other countries. Then we can discuss extradition treaties, times where people were extradited, were not extradited, conflicts between countries. And that sort of covers an opposite scenario to Brittany Griner, which we'll get into. And then we'll end with a discussion of what happens when justice gives way to politicization. And
1: to kick off that discussion, let's dive right in. Should foreign nationals be held to the laws of other countries? In the case of Brittany Greiner, yes, she did violate the laws of Russia by bringing in, I believe, a vape pen that had some marijuana products in it. Her Brittany Greiner herself, she said, I made an honest mistake, and I hope in your ruling it does not end my life.
0: Yeah, which I think if she does end up serving nine and a half years in a Russian prison, it's safe to say that it would.
1: It would certainly impact her professional basketball career to be
0: unable to play for that long. And marijuana, I think, is a particularly controversial subject because laws don't just vary from country to country. Even inside of the United States, we haven't really made up our minds on what to do about it. It's illegal federally in the United States, but it's not illegal in all states. In fact, most states are shifting towards decriminalizing it at the very least.
1: And even though it is federally illegal, the Obama administration in particular did not prosecute states which had. Legal marijuana with establishments that would sell it, even though they had to operate with cash only because they couldn't use the banking system because of the federal illegality of it. But it was kind of a benign neglect from the federal government and letting states just have their marijuana and not really do much about it, even though they, they could have.
0: Yeah, I remember. So I was living in Southern California and on a few occasions road tripped to Denver. And this was when marijuana was legal in Colorado, but not yet legal in California. And I got warned on multiple occasions that while I was driving through Utah to get to better places, I should be careful about getting pulled over because the Utah Highway Patrol and Utah police would specifically look for California license plates going to or especially coming back from Denver because they knew, uh, not in my case, but. They knew why we were there and what we were coming back with. And the regulations against marijuana in Utah were pretty strict. Utah? You're kidding. (laughs) Yeah, right? Gosh, I thought Romney was a uh, stoner. He certainly acts like it sometimes. Binders of women. Uh, So to me, if you take the Griner case and look at her coming from the U.S., going to Russia... If we can't even figure out what to do crossing state borders in our country, it's super complicated if we're going to take this and expand it out internationally and expect people to navigate the complexities of the various laws that exist country by country.
1: Mm -hmm. With the changing attitudes about marijuana in the United States, even in places where it's not technically legal, it probably just seems like not a big deal generally having a little bit of pot on you in any state whatsoever just does not feel like a very big infraction anymore. I live in a legal state. A lot of people in the West coast live in a legal state. It's just not a big deal. And if you're going to fly with it or travel with it, it just doesn't seem like something to put much thought into. It could just be easily forgotten at the bottom of your bag. It's not something to be paranoid about like it used to be.
0: And that makes it really challenging. If you're so used to a particular mindset about it, it's all right. It's not that big of a deal. Literally, the state makes tons of money and funds education, for example, off of the sale of marijuana. It's hard to put yourself in a mindset that, oh, yeah, this is illegal in the place that I'm going to, and I need to avoid it at all costs.
1: There are some places where it's very obvious that you should not bring marijuana or (laughs) you should not engage in anything to do with drugs because the reputation for the legal systems there are very draconian. I remember before I went to Thailand that we were warned not to do anything whatsoever to do with drugs, because there was a very punitive judicial system there. And that I didn't get to experience one way or the other, so I can't speak to it. But there are a lot of concerns about the legal system when it comes to Malaysia and Singapore with the kinds of attitudes towards
0: drugs in that part of the world. And drugs are bad. Okay. I remember walking through the airport in KL, Kuala Lumpur, and seeing signs that say literally death to drug traffickers. And that's when I knew that they were not fucking around. And then you started sweating bullets because you forgot that you packed your rape pen. <laughs> no, I mean, I wasn't worried. But some of the people I was with, I was a bit worried about. With Malaysia and Singapore in specific, this is interesting on a couple of different levels. One, again, we talk about different countries where drugs are legalized or at least decriminalized versus obviously in Malaysia and Singapore, they are very much not. But two, just the existence of the death penalty and the fact that it's applied to these particular crimes. So there are other countries around the world, the United States being one of them, go us, that have the death penalty. and in and it of itself, capital punishment is not necessarily in conflict with international standards, but commonly accepted international law includes safeguards for those facing the death penalty. And these are ratified by the UN General Assembly. And it only supports the imposition of the death penalty for crimes that are both intentional and have lethal consequences. And other international documents state that the death penalty should explicitly be eliminated or economic. Drug related or victimless crimes, as well as crimes relating to moral values like adultery, prostitution, or sexual orientation.
1: Drugs are a really interesting element considering the different legal standards in conflict here, because there could be an argument made that drugs could be deadly or majorly destabilizing. But generally speaking, most drugs do not, most of the time, end up killing people although the drug trade can, and some people can overdose. So of all of the things that we're talking about legally, it is the most nebulous because it kind of depends on the attitude of the people who are viewing the issue, whereas murder is kind of obviously wrong. (laughs) Drugs, less so.
0: So there's a extreme spectrum of the way that countries look at drugs and the appropriate punishments or not for drugs. Where, on one side, we have places where marijuana is legal, taxed, part of the governmental system, and also the death penalty doesn't exist for anything, much less for drugs. And then on the other end, we have places like Malaysia or Singapore that criminalize drugs and are willing to lay down the most final of punishments that we could possibly levy on somebody and do it for a crime that the international community seems to be in relative consensus should not be applicable when it comes to capital punishment.
1: This is another issue which has risen to prominence this year, much like the Brittany Griner case, due to an incident that happened at the start of 2020 and the subsequent controversy that has
0: followed it. Mm-hmm. In Singapore, they went through with an execution of a Singaporean and a Malaysian national, Abdul Kahar bin Othman, And Nagantren Dharmalingam, this happened in March and April of this year, respectively, for drug-related offenses. And the international community is urging the Singaporean government to halt a plan to execute another Malaysian man convicted for a similar offense. And what makes this particularly troubling is the Malaysian national, who they did execute, this happened despite claims that he had an intellectual disability as well as deteriorating mental health conditions, and was a victim of human trafficking.
1: Despite those criticisms, what is interesting about this particular consequence is that in the legal system in Singapore, this is a mandatory punishment, capital punishment in this instance.
0: Right. And we talked about some of the problems in a early episode about mandatory minimum sentencing, and those certainly apply to a case like this. The International backlash of this has resulted in Malaysia last month announcing that they would be removing the mandatory death penalty. So they're keeping capital punishment, but removing the mandatory nature of it, leaving it open to judicial discretion. Potentially one of the things the judge could consider would be foreign status.
1: Both of these cases have mitigating circumstances that really ought to have been taken into consideration. Brittany Griner not understanding the laws of Russia. And I know they say ignorance of the law is not a defense against being charged with crimes. But in this case, it seems like a really innocent mistake. And in the case of Singapore, perhaps a defendant who has been victimized themselves and has an intellectual disability would also be considered somebody with mitigating circumstances that made them
0: ineligible for capital punishment. What's interesting about this case, though, the, the general theme for our episode today is what happens when somebody from one country with one set of laws goes to a country with a different set of laws and then is subjugated to them. That's one type of controversy. But in this case, we have the international community telling Malaysia or Singapore what to do with their own citizens. Do you think it's right for, even if there's a consensus from the rest of the world, that, say, for example, the capital punishment should only be levied for intentional crimes that have lethal consequences, do you think it's fair for them to push their opinion on these two countries that have made their minds up in a different way, if it's their citizens that they're dealing with?
1: That probably depends on your overall attitude towards capital punishment or any of the punishments that may be at stake if they seem somehow disproportionate. I I'm not a fan of capital punishment. So I think it's legitimate for the international community to condemn a country like Singapore for utilizing it. Whether or not I have any stake, I'm not a citizen. I don't have any rights in that country that a citizen would, but it's perfectly fine for me to voice my opinion outside of that country. I think what would be more of an interesting interaction is when foreign governments start telling other governments what to do with their own citizens.
0: And as far as foreigners go, there have been two Americans arrested in Malaysia for drug trafficking, but neither one was executed. They both had their crimes reduced from trafficking to possession by judges, despite in one case, the amount very clearly qualifying as trafficking under Malaysian law. Does this have anything to do with the fact that the United States happens to be one of the biggest economic trade partners with Malaysia and considered one of its closest allies? Hmm, seems a little convenient.
1: Sounds like there might be a political element at play,
0: which I think we're going to get to later. You mean this is not purely moral and for the protection of society? Issues can be complex and multifaceted. Everything we've been talking about so far... For the most part, seems to suggest that Malaysia or Russia are just behaving as rogue actors. And while in the Griner case that appears to most likely be true, what about Malaysia? This drug law is certainly principled in part, but you also can't argue that drugs don't have a tangible and oftentimes negative impact on society. So, like the planet in Star Trek, is it necessarily so bad? For a country to impose harsh punishments in order to maximize deterrence, right? Is there a right answer to how to find a balance between just punishments and protecting society?
1: There probably isn't an objective right answer because it does depend so much on the attitudes of the people who are involved, which you, you can't really control for. But we have to agree on whether or not these punishments actually do deter people. And for the most part, it sounds like people aren't being deterred, especially if they have no knowledge of the law or of the consequences that could await them. It seems like a really ineffective system where it's just kind of capricious death penalties being handed out rather than effective law and order.
0: But in order for society to work, If you take the stance that this is the law and we're going to increase punishments, and then because the punishments are so severe and everybody within the society knows it, we get the benefit of a decrease in crime. If you just let that pass, like we started the episode in an increasingly globalized world where there's an increasing number of people coming into your country from other regions of the world with different values and and different legal systems. If you just let it slide every time, doesn't that break down the stability that you look to achieve within your borders?
1: It can, which is why when we discuss politicization later, it would make sense to apply some of the same standards here of making sure there are no exceptions to those scenarios as well. And and as far as globalization is concerned, I guess it has been effective in making sure I never traveled to Russia with marijuana on me now because without the Britney Griner case, I would have no idea what the Russian
0: drug laws were. Or when I went to Malaysia again, for example, I knew I will die <laughs> if I traffic drugs. If the law over there was, mm, you're going to get eight years for it, A, I probably wouldn't pay attention as much to it. B, the people in the country probably wouldn't pay attention that much to it. And uh, C, you'd end up with a society that does have more drug use, more drug trafficking than probably in the status quo. Do you think it also deters people from
1: traveling to those countries altogether? Because there is such a harsh judicial system that even if they may not have done something wrong or knowingly wrong, they could still find themselves in a really severe consequence. Maybe they would choose to go to a different country altogether.
0: Right. But I don't think they see that as a bad thing, necessarily. I think China could be a good example of that, where certainly there's a lot of foreign nationals, um, Americans now especially, who would be hesitant to go to China, especially if they might have something out in public where they criticize Chinese domestic or foreign policy, and they're afraid of being picked up on random charges because China's mad about their seditious activity. I don't think China was really that upset about not having them come to their country though.
1: Possibly not. But if it becomes one of the only things that that country is known for, it could be seen as too draconian for a lot of people to choose to go there if they're, if they're picking vacation destinations, for example.
0: Well, if any country is the real world version of our Star Trek planet, maybe besides the scanty outfits, it's Singapore. And while they're known for having some of the strictest laws on the planet, they also have some of the lowest crime rates. In 2021, it was ranked the third safest city in the world behind Tokyo and Copenhagen. And I don't think that Singapore suffers from a lack of interest from foreign nationals to move there. In fact, they have a huge population of expats there or to visit there because their reputation for safety and cleanliness seems to be more attractive then their reputation for strictness or draconian policies serves as a deterrence.
1: Have you seen Crazy Rich Asians?
0: I have. It looks pretty cool in Singapore. (laughs) All right. And so that would seem to suggest that even though when we look through case by case, Griner and some of these capital punishments in Malaysia, that at least some people think that Singapore is doing a good job.
1: Yeah, people who... Don't also want to smoke pot. (laughs) It's an easy decision to go to a country where you don't even have a reasonable expectation that you may wind up on the bad side of the judicial system.
0: I guess those are the two sides of it. While we can bemoan the fate of those convicted of harsh punishments, the flip side is obviously the people who we are preventing from becoming victims at the hands of crimes that now aren't being committed. And so if it's impossible for us to answer this question of where is the right balance between just punishments and protecting society, it also seems as though it's hard for us to complain about the way that they enforce those laws, even when foreign nationals are concerned.
1: We do hope that a judicial system serves to protect the people who would otherwise become the casualties or externalities of criminal activities. But in the case of people like Brittany Greiner, where they're really not causing any harm to anyone else it does seem like the punishment way outstrips the damage of the crime.
0: Mhm. Yeah, definitely interested to see where that case ends up. Maybe the answer here is that we need to trust that the countries that are implementing this system are doing it in good faith and not just looking for an excuse to lock up an american when it's convenient for them because they feel like invading another country. So that is Should foreign nationals be held to the laws of other countries? And next, we're going to talk about extradition. And extradition is kind of the opposite of the discussion we just had. So rather than you going to a country and committing a crime there, you commit a crime in your home country and then peace out. Now, your home country is asking the place you fled to to bring you back so that you can stand trial. and There is a really complicated and just slew of international laws and agreements that are in place between countries setting out the rules for if and when or if they wouldn't extradite people.
1: Most of my understanding of extradition comes from law and order because at least once every couple of seasons, somebody has done something real bad and they're making a break for the Canadian border because, according to Olivia Benson or whomever. Canada doesn't extradite in capital offenses.
0: I always thought they went to Mexico, but maybe that's just because they think they can hide easier.
1: I think it's faster to get to Canada than Mexico if you're coming from New York City.
0: Is that where it's set? <laughs> you don't know anything about law and order? Only what I learned from our true crime episode, which you should listen to.
1: Yeah. Number one, law and order
0: takes place in New York. <laughs> oh, is that in there like bump, bump, boom, boom? Is that part of that whole thing?
1: It's city skylines. It's like the most New York show ever.
0: I don't watch this brain rotting television. I only read the newspaper. Okay. And listen to the Indubitably podcast.
1: Well, those are probably really good to get a good foundation of news and information. But some NBC procedural dramas are going to help flesh out your understanding of the world.
0: Well, based on my understanding of the world, one example of where extradition has worked is in 2010, Thailand extradited arms dealer Victor Bout to the United States. And Victor Bout is a native Russian, and Russia, of course, called this extradition illegal. But after Thailand sent this guy to the United States in 2012, Bout was sentenced to 25 years behind bars for, quote, agreeing to provide a staggering number of military-grade weapons to an avowed terrorist organization committed to killing Americans. That is according to prosecutors at the time. And Bout was dubbed the Merchant of Death. So you've got a guy from Russia uh, looking to hide in Thailand, and the United States asked Thailand to ship him over so that we could prosecute him, and Thailand agreed. And it certainly seems as though this is somebody that should be in jail.
1: Yeah, this is definitely an instance where I think we can be less ambivalent about whether or not he did something wrong.
0: And this is the argument for extradition. If you can just, a la law and order, now that I'm all caught up on the premise of the show, where apparently it's about people who run around different countries after they commit crimes, uh, if you could just escape the country after you've done something wrong, certainly criminal justice system as a deterrent to preventing crime doesn't seem anywhere near as effective.
1: Law and order isn't just about running around other countries after you've committed crime. It's also about people who work for the DA's office who can afford new suits every episode, which is totally realistic. But obviously extradition has its place in certain instances where it's very obvious that somebody has done something quite wrong and needs to be brought to justice, if if for no other reason than just to get them out of the global arena where they're committing these crimes in the
0: first place. Mm -hmm. But extradition doesn't always happen. I'm assuming, since we're talking TV shows, that you've seen Narcos.
1: My favorite documentary, Narcos.
0: (laughs) And this is, uh, for if anybody hasn't watched it, you should, first of all. Um, But if you haven't, it follows the notorious drug warlord, I suppose, Pablo Escobar in Colombia.
1: Thanks to how much cocaine Escobar was getting pumped into the United States, the federal government here tried for years to get Colombia to extradite Pablo Escobar so he could stand trial and Colombia refused. However, he had so much influence over the government and so many resources that were available to him, including weapons and extremely loyal people working for him, that it's very unlikely that they could have extradited him It would have probably been a death sentence for most of the people who could have tried.
0: Yeah, it's pretty hard to extradite somebody if you can't even arrest that person.
1: (laughs) Yeah, More or less.
0: To give you a sense of exactly how much control Escobar had over the government of Colombia, in 1991, the Colombian Congress voted to forbid extradition in the country's new constitution. So this guy literally had a clause written in the constitution just for him.
1: Exactly. The power and influence that he had over people in the government was enormous. And on the day that this happened and he got his way in terms of the constitutional changes, he did surrender and was subsequently jailed, if you can call it that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you've seen Narcos, you know that jail basically means extended house party.
1: He had a custom-built facility. I believe he actually funded the construction of this quote-unquote prison, and it was more or less a frat house Mm -hmm. with armed guards and barbed wire, and he just lived it up in his imprisonment for the entire time, was completely capable of running his operation from that base, had ways to communicate to the outside world, had his family brought in, had Other women brought in. And it was definitely probably the coolest type of jail you could ever be in, is my understanding.
0: What do you mean by uh, other women, like teachers or nurses?
1: Yeah, they may have dressed as those professions.
0: (laughs) So we've got one example in Victor Bout, where extradition worked. We've got a competing example in Pablo Escobar, where extradition definitely did not work. And Escobar famously said, that he would actually prefer the grave in Colombia to a U.S. prison cell. And, you know, he's not alone in obviously having a desire not to be shipped off to a different country. And because of this, not because of Escobar, but the sentiment, there are international laws to protect people from just being dragged around the world. And that happens even if both countries involved want to extradite.
1: This brings us to another interesting case regarding extradition and the political forces that may or may not be able to influence whether it happens. In 2012, radical Muslim cleric Abu Hamza had faced 11 charges in U.S. courts, including conspiracy, in connection with the 1998 kidnapping of 16 Westerners in Yemen and conspiring with others to establish an Islamic Jihad training camp in rural Oregon in 1999. Hamza was an Egyptian-born British citizen through marriage who had already been sentenced to seven years of jail time in Britain for inciting racial hatred at his North London mosque and other terrorism-related charges.
0: So the U.S. and the U.K. both hate this guy. He's already served jail time in Britain. Uh, currently residing there. And the United States wants their shot at him. But even though they both dislike him and they both have agreed that they would like him extradited, they couldn't just pick him up from Britain and fly him across the ocean to the United States.
1: I definitely pictured one of those claw machines, like at an arcade,
0: <laughs> chooses who will live and who will be extradited. Both the United States and the United Kingdom needed to. Argue their case against Abu Amza in front of the European Human Rights Court, uh, who did eventually rule that this guy could be extradited from Great Britain to the United States. They had to determine that Abu Amza, as well as four other suspects, would not get ill treatment in super maximum security prisons if they were extradited to the United States and convicted in American courts. I don't know. On one side, this guy seems like an asshole. So let's get him here and put him in jail. But on the other hand, it is nice to know that when government forces would like to prosecute you, they least have to show that the extradition will meet international standards before they do.
1: This is the one case where it sounds like the United States was stripped of some of the power in a terrorism related issue that they kind of exercise with no restraint in a lot of other cases. I'm thinking specifically when they just go ahead and capture people in countries like Afghanistan and bring them to Guantanamo Bay, and due process isn't really enforced in those instances, or at least it takes forever to get people any semblance of justice. In this instance, the person who obviously did, or allegedly, but kind of obviously, did some pretty bad things, still has rights that need to be ensured. And the extradition could not proceed unless it was determined that those rights were upheld in some capacity
0: these stupid europeans making us follow the rules
1: yeah you know
0: europeans they're they're such downers them and their believing in global warming and human rights and all that nonsense and having really walkable cities stupid europe <laughs> this is not the only time that the united states has been Uh, at least temporarily, blockaded from getting at the person that they'd like to get at. Another realm of the criminal justice system that's pretty interesting when it comes to extradition is that of treason. So one of the most famous examples of attempted extradition, which to this day has not been successful, is that of Edward Snowden, who I'm sure everybody's heard the name before, but is an American former computer intelligence consultant who leaked highly classified information from the National Security Agency. And he has been charged with three felonies, theft of government property, and two counts of violating the Espionage Act. So he's like a super spy. And nine days after he was charged with these offenses, he landed in Moscow, where he has stayed ever since. Not Moscow, but Russia.
1: He knew what he was doing, that the information he was supplying that was the sensitive, was definitely going to wind up coming back to bite him. And so his escape to Russia was so quick and rightly so to avoid probably some really punitive reaction from the United States government.
0: And you know, Russia is so happy to have this guy and be able to tell the United States to fuck off every time that we ask for him.
1: Russia better stay on his good side though, (laughs) because I can't imagine... What would happen if uh, any secrets were exposed by him mm-hmm. on the Russian side of the equation?
0: Well, he better stay on Russia's good side, too. People disappear over there. <laughs> That's true. So Snowden is a, is a subject of controversy, obviously, and he's been called by different people, anything from a traitor to a hero, a whistleblower to a dissident, or a, from a coward to a patriot. U.S. officials condemned his actions as having done grave damage to the U.S. intelligence capabilities, whereas Snowden has defended his leaks as an effort to, quote, inform the public as to that which is done in their name and that which is done against them. What are your thoughts on Edward Snowden? Um, I mean, I think I've said this a bunch of times on the podcast, but I think more information is always a good thing. and. This is what the government likes to say to us when they take away our rights to privacy. If you're not doing anything wrong, you shouldn't need to keep things private. So as far as I'm concerned, the same standard should apply to them.
1: That's true. I guess there is a legitimate concern that some of the techniques or types of information that were released could impair the ability of the United States to conduct certain kinds of intelligence operations, but then they should just get creative and get better techniques.
0: (laughs) Well, so I don't want to get too much into, you know, the specifics of the case. Definitely our listeners can look that up. It's interesting. Also, a similar case would be that of WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. You can look that up too. But what I do find pretty fascinating about this when it relates to extradition is in some cases, say Abu Amza, for example, where terrorism is very clearly a crime or Pablo Escobar or Victor Bout who have all committed very clear crimes, when it comes to Snowden, it's actually not clear if he committed a crime at all or if he's done the country, at least the citizens of the country, if not the government, a service with his actions. And so do you extradite someone when they have committed acts of accused treason or accused sedition or accused espionage? Do you extradite them to the government that they're trying to expose?
1: On the other hand, there is a possibility that what he did actually did damage the country in some way. And by refusing extradition, there's not really an ability to accurately prosecute it and give him a chance to stand up for himself in court and go through the regular means of determining whether or not a
0: wrong has actually been done. Right. So denying extradition can protect people from spiteful governments on one hand, but on the other hand, Even if Snowden had undermined the stability of the United States, I'm pretty sure Russia would still be telling the US to piss off.
1: Yeah, they just don't get along very well, do they?
0: Why can't we all just get along? So, obviously, this decision is not as black and white as some of the criminal offenses that we've discussed. It's very politicized. And this brings us to the last part of the episode where we talk about the politicization that does come quite frequently with calls for extradition or with foreign nationals traveling to other countries and being jailed for crimes that they either weren't aware of, didn't think were that serious, what have you.
1: Fittingly, this brings our conversation back to where we started with Brittany Greiner, who not only is facing this issue of potential jail time in Russia, but that her case itself has led to a discussion of politics and the exchange of favors between countries in order to try to secure her freedom.
0: It's so convenient. So Greiner has been going to Russia for years in the off season to play basketball. And this year, the same year we have the invasion of Ukraine and the U.S. levies actions and sanctions, et cetera, against Russia. This is the year that she's arrested. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. And say that it's very likely in years past that she also had some small amounts of marijuana on her when she traveled over there.
1: It does seem like an opportune time for Russia to try to influence other parties in the global playground with whatever tools they can muster up.
0: And so to try and resolve this situation, the United States has offered a deal to Russia aimed at bringing home this WNBA star as well as another jailed American, Paul Whelan. And this is cool, I suppose. This would be in return for Russian arms trafficker, Victor Bout, our merchant of death from earlier, who was extradited to the United States from Thailand, as you remember, to serve 25 years of prison time.
1: This is interesting, not only because it does deal with the issues of extradition and when a foreign citizen is subject to laws of countries other than their home country, but this is very much a discussion along the lines of a prisoner exchange, which doesn't seem to happen too much for civilians. This is kind of a discussion, this bartering that you see more with like prisoners of war and definitely open armed conflict type situations. It's a very weird confluence of many different
0: situations at once. My Star Trek episode was named Justice. And when we talk about extradition and we talk about people being jailed for committing crimes in other countries, it should be about justice, protecting that society, ensuring stability, upholding values of that society, making sure they're not broken by people coming in externally. But now, it definitely seems it's not justice, it's politics. Countries are making deals with each other for what's convenient. And in order to make those deals, they have to have some clout, which means they have to be arresting people in this case. And I I think that that's generally the sentiment surrounding Griner. Is the reason she is in jail right now is because Russia needed some tokens at the bargaining table. And she happened to provide a convenient option.
1: This is an odd situation, which makes it kind of scary to be an American that travels abroad because you don't know if you're going to be a political point of contention between your home country and the country that you're flying to, and whether or not you're going to be used as a part of a bargain. If there was no bargain to be made, Russia may still have arrested Brittany Griner and may still prosecute her. And if the deal falls through, she was put forth as this kind of sacrifice, essentially, towards some political end that was never met. And she'll just end up being in jail for the entire time. It just comes down to what value you have to your home country and what value you have for
0: negotiation in the host country, I suppose. Right. Which, uh, again, definitely seems. To fall outside of the boundaries of what these principles we're talking about were meant to protect. Russia is not protecting their society from her having a vape pen. And so, if the justification for jailing foreign nationals for something that might be legal where they're from, but illegal where they're going to, is protecting some sort of cultural norms or stability, this certainly doesn't apply. If this is about extradition, and trying to decide whether or not Victor Bout, for example, should have been extradited from Thailand or not. The fact that they have Brittany Greiner as a bargaining chip to get him back certainly seems to be circumventing the goals of these international systems of extradition and international systems meant to uphold justice as well.
1: It's pretty dehumanizing.
0: So as we come to the end of this discussion, what do you think? Should foreign nationals, to ask our first question, be held to the laws of other countries?
1: Generally speaking, I'm going to say yes, but I also think that the laws need to be reasonable and the punishments for violating those laws need to be sensible. In the case of Brittany Greiner, it may be the case that having marijuana is against the law in Russia. However, the amount she was carrying does not warrant a nine-year prison sentence by any stretch of the imagination. In this case, I would say that she should not be subjected to that law because it is unreasonable, not because it originates from a foreign government. I would say that about an American law that had the same sort of disproportionate consequence for such a minor crime.
0: Like capital punishment?
1: Absolutely. I'm definitely against capital punishment. I believe that we are at a point right now where we are talking about real criminal reform in the United States and other places in terms of what actually warrants, what type of punishment, what actually deters people, things along those lines. And I understand that there is a need to take criminals out of society in some cases where they cannot be reformed. Brittany Greiner does not meet that standard. She should be released immediately. When it comes to the fact that another country is applying judgment to American citizens, I have no problem with that. You know how how my stance is that we should be in a borderless world anyway. And I think that being subjected to the laws of other countries, it makes sense when we're looking at universal citizenship and getting along as an international and global community.
0: I agree that makes sense in the vast majority of instances. I also think it's important to look to some international standards that are nearly uniform, capital punishment obviously being one of them. And if the international community does accept the fact that capital punishment can be applied in some cases, when it certainly, if we look to Malaysia and Singapore, agrees almost universally that it shouldn't be for those particular crimes, I think that would be a good example of where somebody should not be held to the standards of a foreign criminal justice system. But I think we're on the same page in terms of, in general, when you go somewhere, you should figure out, at least on a basic level, what's illegal over there, what the punishment is going to be, and act accordingly.
1: Otherwise, what's the alternative? I can go into Canada and just hunt Canadians for sport and expect nothing to happen to me?
0: Well, I mean, if you did that, they would apologize to you.
1: I know. They're very polite.
0: And that's basically torture.
1: (laughs) But in, in some of the other issues that we've been talking about, things are maybe a little bit more complicated. So where do you stand when it comes to the issue of extradition? Should people be brought back to the country in which they committed those crimes, even if it may subject them to different legal standards than
0: we like? I think in general, that's a absolutely yes. If both countries involved are acting in good faith. And to be honest, if they're not acting in good faith, none of this is going to matter anyway. So I think international agreements that facilitate extradition and make sure that people can't just cross a border to hide from the law are important. The fuzzy area is when we do talk about things like Edward Snowden, like treason, where the crime is a, a thought crime in large part. It could be doing as much good as it could be doing harm, I think that's when it gets fuzzy. And it's impossible, I think, to make a rule for something like that. But in terms of traditional crimes that have a victim that is not the American public or, you know, national security or government secrets, and if both actors are acting in good faith, I think that this system of extradition we have is a pretty great tool to enforce justice.
1: I'm inclined to agree for the most part. I think it really does come down to the context of each particular instance. And the discussion of extradition seems to be rare enough, as far as criminal justice is concerned, that it really can be evaluated on a case by case basis. I would agree that Edward Snowden likely did nothing materially wrong and does not need to be brought to some sort of punitive place with the United States. And it's fine that he's. Taking his time out in Russia and living it up there, however, you live it up in Russia. But in other instances where people are obviously committing really heinous crimes, it would make sense for them to be brought to justice in the country where that crime occurred.
0: Right. There are certain things that are just very clearly black and white, right and wrong. You know, and one of those things I think that we can just agree universally as a wrong would be listening to our podcast without following us on Facebook or Twitter at IndubitablyPod or without rating us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Absolute extradition, capital punishment, mandatory sentence every time.
1: The, the most severe punishment you get for not subscribing to us is that our cats will be disappointed in you.
0: I'm disappointed too.
1: Well, I think people care more about the opinions of cats than they care about us. Or else they would subscribe more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's true. Maybe if we started um, posting pictures of them, how about that? How about this week on our Facebook page and on our Twitter, Kelly will post a picture of her cats for your viewing pleasure. Go there and find them.
1: Yep. I'm going to do it. And you're going to be like, wow, those are really great cats.
0: And then the week after, I'll post mine, and you'll see what a great cat really is.
1: You have derided your cat so many times on this show.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true.